Jim's not here, so we're trying to get the uh, the uh, Facebook started better today, didn't it, hun? Yeah. So um, anyway, let me uh, let's look in the book of Job. We're going to turn to Job 39 this morning, and uh, hopefully everybody's got a handout. Brother uh, Rob back here. I think I made a couple more today because I ran out before. So. How about what you didn't finish last week? Yeah, I think I'm going to cover. Yeah. Uh, so most of what you have today is from last week. So that, no, that's a good question, Suzanne or uh, Pam. Yeah, the horses and grasshoppers and thirty nine. Yeah. Did you say you turned on the recording? Yeah. Yeah. Uh better make sure though. Yeah, it's going. All right, so we're uh, we're glad we got the uh, trip back from the Dominican Republic. We may hear more about that today, but um, we kind of labeled this section uh, God's Zoo because right at the end of chapter thirty-eight. You notice it mentioned uh, lions and ravens at the end of chapter 38. So when we get to 39, um, it talks a lot about, I think there's 12 animals mentioned in this section. Let me... uh, Yeah. So yeah, this is the section that we're at on our on our handout. Uh, so there, we call this section God's Zoo because it talks. It, it it does seem really weird, doesn't it? That uh, after all of Job's struggles and when God does show up, he there was thirty some questions in chapter thirty eight, and. Uh, you know, if you and I were to talk to Job, you think we'd be, you know, sympathetic or have some empathy or, you know, sorry for your troubles, Job. But Job, but uh, God doesn't do that. He tells him to gird up his loins like a man, and and uh, he's got he's speaking some words without knowledge. And then in uh, chapter thirty-nine, where we're at. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna see uh, the remainder of these animals, but when we get to chapter forty, I, ge- I gave you a blank. Uh, chapter forty, there's another animal called behemoth, and I think it's I think in the Hebrew it's like a plural word. It's like a uh, a plural beast of some kind. I think it calls it a beast and. And then in chapter 41, we're going to study about Leviathan, and that's going to represent uh, Satan. But one one thing I wanted to do this morning is... uh, 
uh, one of the things when I, when I first got saved, I read at least I don't think I made it through the whole book. It was called like Gleanings in Genesis, and it it presented the idea of you know types and pictures, and you know Moses was a type of Christ because he was a shepherd and he was the lawgiver, and Christ is a shepherd and he's the lawgiver. So things like that really excited me about the Bible, and I hope you've all experienced that where you're just excited about the Bible and and uh, reading books even about the Bible. And, uh, you know, I remember just reading about Noah being a type of Christ, and I was just blown away. Uh, and I'd been in church for 31 years, and I'd never seen things about types and pictures and, and all these things. So, uh, I wanted to give you just a little, uh, example from the New Testament even. La- last week I showed everybody this, uh, the Bible program that I use, and it's uh, in Romans. I've got it on your handout, <clears throat> but uh, it's in Romans five fourteen. I'm a, uh, hopefully you can see this, and you know we uh, you know. We, we love uh, you know the Bible in English and and uh, but I want you to see this. This will be the only thing I think I put up here today. But in in chapter five fourteen of Romans, I want you to see this. Uh, the Bible says five fourteen of Romans. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Who is the figure of him that was to come? And this this word figure, I want you to see this. It says that Adam was a figure of him that was to come, and uh, you'll notice the little the word the letter G by that that just means Greek. So this guy uh, put the Greek word by the English word and the Greek word for the word figure is this word uh, typos or we would say type can everybody see that I'm uh, take this off for just a minute Can you see okay back there, Nicole? This 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 word here. That's uh. Yeah, the transliteration. Yeah. So. So this is actually the Greek word, and then that's the transliteration. So that's how we would say that Greek word in English. So. you know, my, my mother was a typing teacher. Some of you uh, may have never seen a typewriter, but uh, we we've owned some, and and uh, but I mean, it, it's an advancement from the Gutenberg printing press, but uh, it seems primitive today, doesn't it? But uh, but it, it's kind of like you know, you'd have a metal. 
stamp with a, a letter embossed on it and it, it would touch a ribbon of ink and hit the white paper and you leave an impression of the of the uh, the letter yeah and uh, so th- so when we when the Bible says that Adam was a type of him that was to come, he was a figure. Of, so he he pictures for. In, in fact, uh, and I put it on your handout. Jesus Christ is called the last Adam. So this thing about typology and symbolism and pictures, it, it's not something that you know I'm making up as a teacher. The Bible says that Adam was a figure of him that was to come, and Jesus was the last Adam, and and so we could, you know, talk a lot about all that. But um, hey, it's it's Miller's, right? We'll sit up at the front of the class. <laughs> okay. Oh, hey, he's got a handout for you. So, yeah, welcome, guys. <laughs> no problem. So we uh, we just got done saying that uh, the Bible says that Adam was a figure of him that was to come, and Jesus is called the last Adam. And so we're, we're seeing just some types of pictures because. You know, in the book of Job, you know, several times it mentions Job's trouble. We know the tribulation is called a time of trouble. We uh, know it's a time of darkness. It's called that day or the day of the Lord. And so, this this section that I have here uh, on the front of your handout that Job is a type of the nation of Israel in the tribulation period. So, so just like Adam was a type. Of Christ, Job is a type of three different things that we're going to mention here, and so, and and we all know this intuitively. When you read the Bible, you just have the sense that there's more there than what you see, don't you? And uh, so, so what we say is that there's like three applications of Scripture. There's there's a historical meaning that you know Job was truly a real man that lived in this uh, land of Uz, and uh, he was persecuted greatly. And so historically, this guy lived and had this family and uh, these possessions, and he lost them all. And the devil really did attack him. But then we say there's a doctrinal meaning, and sometimes people call it a prophetical meaning. Like, even though it's a historical story, it means some. He's it's teaching some truth. That's what doctrine means: is truth, right? And uh, and and in this sense, some of what he lived through prophesies of something yet to come. Does that make sense? And uh, and then we say there's a devotional sense and. You know, in a devotional sense, that's that's where we apply it to our lives. It's like, even though this guy lived historically and there's a coming tribulation, to me, when I'm suffering, I need to cry out to God and I need to seek good counsel and I need, you know, it tells us how to deal with our own suffering, doesn't it? So, uh, you know, my, my great-grandma, when I was just a little guy, um, after school, I had to walk to my great grandmother's house. Her name was Zelma, and uh, you know she was old then. But 
I remember her saying something about the patience of Job. And you, you maybe heard somebody say just the patience of Job. So a lot of this is, is developing patience. Because the Bible says tribulation worketh patience. And uh, so Job, when you read Job, you don't see that he has a lot of patience. But he, this is him developing patience, isn't it? Through the things that he suffered. And hopefully the th- things that, you know... Uh, just my recovery of my shoulder. I mean, this is the start of week eight, and it's about a. I've got uh, six weeks of uh, physical therapy starting tomorrow. So, I mean, that it's hard being patient. I can't sleep right. It aches all the time, and you know all those things. But it's developing patience because I'm suffering. I, you know, it lets me know that I've got a shoulder that hurts. Right. No, it lets you know you're human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In your life. Yep. I. You have feelings. I have feelings. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right. So the first blank I gave you was just the word behemoth, and the next time we're together, we're going to study Job chapter forty, and uh, what I believe is that he, uh, behemoth was some probably extinct animal that. Uh, the Bible calls it a beast, and you know, uh, in the tribulation period, there, there's going to be the Antichrist and the mark of the beast. So I, I think there's going to be some prophetical things about that. So, so anyway, uh, when we say uh, the Bible has three applications, there's a doctrinal, a historical, and there's a devotional. And so hopefully we're we. I mean, the application is maybe most important to us, but. Uh, we need to consider the historical and the doctrinal as well. And so, uh, and then I left you another blank, just that uh, Adam is a, the figure of him that was to come. That's what uh, Romans 5 said for us. And then uh, this thing about uh, Job is a type of the nation of Israel in the tribulation period. Uh, the next blank I gave you was just that uh, us is Israel's re- refuge in the time of tribulation, and I, I pulled up I pulled up this map, and uh, you know it's not meant to be super accurate maybe, but uh, it's just kind of got a a picture of a man with tablets there and uh, it, uh, Uz is in the land of Eden and uh, mentioned he's a descendant of, of Esau so this gives you kind of a time frame of of when Job lived and so they, they think uh, in fact I think Pam you mentioned this that it's maybe in modern day Jordan is where Edom was at but it's kind of to the southeast of Israel and they think that that's where some of the, his friends came from, Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz. And then the last guy that spoke, Elihu, it said he was a Buzzite. And so they think Buzz was from down here in like Saudi Arabia. So this kind of gives us a, a picture view of where Job lived and where the land of Uz was in the land of Eden. And so 
uh, I gave you some key words and phrases in the book of Job. It talks about his place, that day, the shadow of death, the wicked. There's a wicked man. It mentions uh, wrath, uh, whirlwind. The, the second coming of Christ is like a, a, the day of the whirlwind. Uh, the, the phrase time of trouble is here. It's also in Jeremiah. There's a lot of talk about clouds and the latter rain and the end. Uh, I think it even mentions remnant once or twice in Job. It mentions midnight or uh, the nighttime, darkness, and the wilderness. And... Uh, the wilderness is where uh, Israel flees to in the time of tribulation. And that's where God uh, feeds them supernaturally again with manna. And uh, He brings forth water to them. So Job is not only a type of the nation of Israel in the tribulation, but he's a, uh, Job's a type of Christ on the cross. Because like Christ, Job was persecuted without cause. And uh, gave you some references there. And he's also a type of a lost man in hell because he's tossed to and fro. His flesh is clothed with worms. His days are spent without hope. And so, in many ways, uh, all all three of those things are true. And it, it was really weird to me. I, I listened to a video uh, uh, <coughs> if I go to the gym walk on the treadmill, I try to you know, pull up whatever a video about anybody preaching about something I'm studying, and uh, and this this guy brought up all three of those things. It's a guy I never heard of in some little church that you've never heard of, and he was preaching. You know, Job's a type of you know Israel in the tribulation. He's a type of Christ on the cross. He's a type of the lost man in hell. And I'm like, wow, this is this is not just uh, something I read in a book. It's something other people have uh, taught as well as this church. So, hey, those those things make it interesting, don't they, to uh, mm-hmm. consider. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so too. And uh, so anyway, Job 39 and uh, verse 18. Emmett, uh, I think we usually start with you, brother. Read verse 18 for us. What time she and which animal was that talking about? Uh, was that the the ostrich? The ostrich. She, but this thing about the horse and the rider, I, I want you to see this because I think Brian's going to preach about it any day now. Look, look up uh, Exodus 15. I think Exodus 15 is called the. Uh, it's called the Song of Moses, I believe. Genesis, Exodus, Exodus 15. Uh, so yeah, we, we've studied several different animals. Now we're going to look at the horse and his rider. Yeah, as everybody see, uh, verse 1 says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. So this is called the Song of Moses. It's even at the top of my page. Uh, but look at... Uh, I think it's on the back side of your handout. I've got these references. So the horse and the rider, they're going to point to the Antichrist, but... Uh, uh, let me finish reading the end of verse 1. He says, uh, 
Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he drowned into the sea. And who's that talking about? The horse and the rider there. The Egyptians. The Egyptians, and yeah, and Pharaoh in particular. Yeah, uh, uh, Pam, why don't you read verse 19 and verse 21? In Job? Yeah, no, uh, Exodus 15. Exodus 15, 19? Yeah. For the horse of Pharaoh went with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Yeah, now jump down to 21. And Mary answered them, singing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Yeah, it's the same language, and so it's like this ostrich spooked the horse and the rider, and and there's other places, there's like six different times in the Bible where it, it mentions the horse and his rider, the horse and his rider. And uh, there's two horses, well, there's the four horsemen of Revelation 6, and I thought we would look at that uh, briefly. Let's go to Revelation 6. We're trying to kind of go slow through Job at this point because these are uh, God is speaking Himself to Job. So let's look clear in the back of our Bibles at Revelation 6. And uh, there's four horsemen here that are mentioned in Revelation 6. And some of this we know is prophetical, but... uh, uh, Revelation 6 and verse 1 says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So this first horse is, is a white horse. And verse 3, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say come and see and there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to make to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another and there was given unto him a great sword and when he had opened the third seal I heard the third beast say come and see and I beheld and lo a black horse and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand and I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine and when he had opened the fourth seal I heard the voice of the fourth beast say come and see and I looked and behold a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed him with him and power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and death, with death and with the beast of the earth. So the, these are the four horsemen. They, uh, these four, these four beasts uh, tell John to come and see what. Uh, and so I, I gave you some uh, references to those on your handout. And uh, this is one thing I thought was interesting is in. Uh, 
Most people think the white horse represents war and the red horse economic disaster and the black horse famine. And this pale horse, uh, it even says there it's death and hell. And I think, uh, I think what I was going to do is, uh, just look up Revelation uh, 6 here. I know this kind of gets deep and uh, technical, but uh, this was really interesting to me. This uh, this pale horse in Revelation six eight, uh, the Greek word for that. Uh, the other three times in the Bible, it's mentioned as green, and uh, so I had you put uh, green in your blank. Just. But isn't it? My understanding is, you know, like when you're sick and you have an infection, you have to name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Is that code? Yeah, right. And uh, but anyway, a lot of Bible teachers uh, reference this to uh, Islam here. Uh, I didn't know this, but every door on a on a Muslim mosque is always green, and uh, so they 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 connect the colors of Islam with this pale horse. And so anyway, I just thought that was interesting, and so I put that on your handout for today. Uh, but now let's talk about the, the good horse and his rider, and who who's that? It's, it's the Lord, isn't it? Let, let's look at Revelation 19. Uh, th- this is the true horse, horse and his rider. So there's... Uh, of course, the Antichrist and his influence, and and then uh, uh, let's see here. Let's see. Yeah, uh, verse verse eleven. Uh, Belinda, where, where are you? Nineteen eleven, and through. Through 15, I guess. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Amen. Hey, uh, Belinda, read also uh, number 17, or just read 16 and 17 if you would. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh the name of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Yeah, and uh, even verse 18 goes on to talk that they're, these fowls of heaven eat the flesh of kings. And so it's really a graphic thing. And 
uh, most of you know I went to uh, Israel back in 19 and uh, and uh, most of you know Mark Trotter uh, he, he went with us we had a group of 80 some Americans and uh, yeah we had two buses and so the leader of our, our bus was Alan Shelby and Mark Trotter led the other bus so we had a, we had a Jewish guide on each bus and then we had kind of a couple pastors that but uh, we I mean I don't know my I feel like I know Israel's geography fairly well but I, I had no idea that Mount Carmel just kind of overlooked uh, the valley of Armageddon uh, but it does and uh, that, that was probably the most touching moment for me of the whole trip I mean I I love Jerusalem, but it was like our second day there, and I just kind of got rested, and it's like we drive a bus up. I mean, we see kind of a range of mountains as we're driving, but we drive up. It's kind of a wooded area, and we kind of get to the peak, and they've got a a big statue of Elijah, and he's got a like a sword in his hand because he slew the prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel. And... Uh, and then we kind of went up the hill to where you could see the Valley of Armageddon down below. And Sam Miles, uh, we all could sit down there in a little wooded area. And and he gives us a story of Elijah and Mount Carmel. It's just, it's very surreal. And then we... They they built a, a platform and you can and on a clear day you can see the Mediterranean from there and uh, the uh, Valley of Armageddon on the other yeah the Valley of Armageddon on the other side and anyway I mean I just stood there and wept it was like you know I've read these stories my whole life and I'm 60 years old I'm seeing it with my eyes and this is where all this is going to happen and the Lord's coming back here and. It was just very moving, uh, and uh, Luke was there with me, our son. And but uh, we went just a, we drove in the bus a few miles down further, and that's where the the ancient city of Megiddo is, and it showed kind of some holes where they had cisterns and they stored crops and. You know, the Valley of Armageddon is named after the town of Megiddo. And uh, that's where Mark Trotter gave a message. So behind him was the Valley of Armageddon. And so we're setting like you're setting facing me. And like behind him was the Valley of Armageddon. And you know, he's talking about the Lord's return. And, and even that was just like blew me away. And uh, so anyway, this horse and the rider... Uh, all of that uh, I think uh, the French general I think he was French wasn't he Napoleon uh, and uh, I guess he got to view the valley of Armageddon and he, he said it's a perfect battlefield is what he said it would be And I think there's like five entrances into it and uh, anyway uh it, it's, I think it's over a hundred miles maybe in width and anyway it's a huge valley and uh, you, you could probably pull it up and google it and, and see what it looks like but to be there and just see where some things have already went down and some things are going to happen uh, but uh, on your handout 
letter C there on the back side, verse 21 talks about the horse and rider being in a valley and going against armed men. And uh, when Christ returns to earth, He will meet men who are gathered together to battle in the valley of decision, Joel calls it. And the valley, and called the valley of Megiddo in Zechariah, it's also called Armageddon. And it's a place of slaughter in uh, Revelation 16:16. So, so let, let's go back to Job now, and let's pick, let's read a few more verses about this story because there there is a couple of key things that it says. And I lost my place. So Job, there it is. We're in Job 39. And uh, Nicole, do you want to read for us? Uh, I think uh, 19 and 20 for us. Do you think the horse is might? Do you prove his neck was a man? Do you make him weak like the locust? Uh-huh. His majestic snorting is terrifying. Yeah. Uh, Rob, can you read the 21, even down to 25 even? Yes, sir. He passes to the valley and rejoices in his strength. He goes on to meet the armed men. He mocked at fear and is not afraid of them. Neither turneth he back from the sword. The quiver rattleth against him. And glittering spear and the shield. He swallows the ground with fierceness and rage. Neither believeth he that is in the sound of the trumpet. He saith among the trumpets, Ah, and he smelt the battle afar. The yeah. thunder of the captains and the shout. Yeah. Um, so in verse 21 it, it talked about the horse in the valley and his strength he's going to meet armed men and uh, the verse 20 that uh, Nicole read it's really interesting your Bible says locust because uh, the King James is grasshopper and I think they are uh, I think the same words translated locust one place and, and uh, grasshopper another but uh, it's basically saying, you know, could you scare this, this, you know, ferocious horse, uh, you know, like you would a grasshopper. If you walk through when it's dry out and there's grasshoppers, you know, as you walk, they just jump and fly. And so they're scared of you, right? He's saying, you know, you couldn't do that to a horse. If, if you're going into battle, a horse will just plow right right through it like you see in the movies. They're, they're fearless and... Uh, you know, still today, your your car, the power of your car is measured in horsepower. Did you know that? We used to. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I do have an associate degree. I went to DeVry, and uh, they're electronic technician, but. Uh, you know, all the motors we deal with in refrigeration, they, they, they're all ranked in horsepower. Uh, you know, your furnace, your your furnace uh, blower motor, it's, it's you know, probably a half horse motor. And uh, they're, they're, But it comes from an actual horse. And I, I kind of forget how it was derived. We, we were taught kind of the history of that. It's really interesting. And... Um, I was watching on uh, Modern Marvel. Some of the dragsters now, uh, 
the one dragster, they, they said it had 7,000 horsepower. One uh, one car. It's over like 320 mile an hour in a quarter mile. It's just... You know, it's scary strong. So, anyway, uh, some of this thing about horses and horsepower, it, it comes back to um, the actual animals, you know. And so, anyway, that whole section there that Nicole and Rob read for us is about this horse and the rider. And, uh, you know, seemed like a reference to the Antichrist back in Exodus, uh, Pharaoh. And, uh, but yet I think it also represents uh, the return of Christ at his coming. That seems really weird, doesn't it? it and the, it says the armies of heaven. It seems weird to think that you and I are going to ride back horses from heaven. I mean, that, that sounds really strange to say, doesn't it? That if we're part of the army, you know, we, when we get raptured out, and we go through the judgment seat of Christ, and when He returns, it says the armies of heaven are going to follow Him, and we're going to rule and reign with Him for a thousand years. I mean, it's pretty exciting, but it's kind of frightful too, isn't it? To think we're going to come flying through the air on horses. I mean, it, it sounds weird to say that, but we, we take the Bible literal until you can't otherwise. But uh, so are there horses in heaven? I guess. And there's a white one anyway, and the armies of heaven follow follow the Lord. So are we going to come back on white horses? And yes, I I think so. That's that's crazy. It's crazy to say, but uh, that that's uh, that's what the Bible says. And so it's sometimes it's not hard to understand, but it's hard to believe, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the things we make, but uh, yeah. All right. Uh, so I had the word grasshopper there in your handout. Uh, they're clean animals from Leviticus. Uh, so I think the Israelites were able to even eat grasshoppers and locusts. Uh, and even even Amos and Nahum talked about that they're they're used in judgment. So it, I do believe this that God uses weather and you know natural things to bring about His will, doesn't He? We we talked about stormy winds fulfilling His word in Psalms, and uh, I've told most of you you know my own testimony. Uh, I remember a year after we were married, we were farming, and uh, you know that that was a year in in '83. It was a drought in North Missouri, and that's when we went broke farming. And we just thought, now, I remember, you know, just thinking, God, why won't it rain? You know, we went two or three months with no rain, and so in the springtime it was so muddy that our cows lost their calves and they drowned and then in the summertime it was so dry that uh, crops burned up and then you're paying high price feed for you. so everything we did in 83 we lost money so we worked pretty hard and lost sixty, seventy thousand dollars uh in 83 but <laughs> well well that's what i remember because we were we got married in 82 so 83 we 
80 was way worse than 83. Really? Well, we, we were up by the Iowa line. and Anyway, my point is that that drought is what brought us to the city. And I started working alongside a guy that led me to the Lord seven years later. So that drought was the best thing that happened to me, really. Oh, looking back on it. Yeah, looking back, it was like God used that to... Uh, change, change our whole lives. So we're we're thankful for that. And you know, Steve, our life we we didn't change anything. I mean, we don't we don't live a fancy lifestyle. So when we have a bad year farming, I don't even notice. Huh. You know? huh. We're not buying fancy cars and things yeah. like that. And we make our payments and, yeah. and get along. I was dreaming, trying to figure out how we stayed cool in the Spring Hill House. It was, you know, no air conditioner. No yeah. air. No air. And again, our air conditioner broke down last night at our house, and I was out there at nine o'clock. It was just. It was just, I mean, it was just a walk. Yeah, yeah, and after the heat was over, we could open windows, but it was just a wire had a bad connection, and it was a 20-minute fix. Good. But if you could call somebody. Thank you, Jabron. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Pretty thankful he knows how to fix that. Yeah, it was. Even though it wasn't that hot yesterday. Yeah. So I put as a teaching point there, just as Job's tribulation comes to an end, God gives us a glimpse of things that happen at the end of the coming tribulation and the return of Christ. I think that's a pretty, it's a pretty good point there that this is right at the end of Job's tribulation and so God gives us a picture of some things that are going to happen at the uh, you know that there's some beasts that come out of the bottomless pit that are like uh, locusts with long hair so so it's just weird that it mentions locusts or grasshoppers right here in Job because all of this uh, pictures some things to come so, all right, the 26 through 30, we're right at the end of uh, Job 39. And, uh, Suzanne, do you want to read? Let me see here. It's 26 and 27, I guess. Then the hawk flies by thy wisdom and stretches the dreams to the south. Does the eagle not mount up at the, at the like man and make a nest on the high? Yeah, so this this thing of uh, hawks and eagles, these are the next two animals that come up. And uh, we actually have a hawk that almost every day he's sitting on the same light pole near our house. So we, I mean, we see him swoop down and try to get a mouse or something every bit. But anyway, just. Uh, so there's some things about hawks, and uh, she stretches forth her wings toward the south. Uh, this eagle, uh, then the eagle, and I think both of these are considered unclean animals. But uh, a couple times God is likened to an eagle. And uh, Mary, why don't you read 28 through the end of the chapter there, 28 through 30. She dwelleth and abideth on the rock, upon the crag of the rock, and the stronghold. From thence she seeketh to pray, and her eyes behold afar off. 
So her young ones also suck up the milk, and when the slain are, there is she. Yeah. Um. So in verse 26 on my handout, I just put the hawk's flight and wisdom are from God. The, the eagles make a nest in high places by God's design. They're both considered unclean animals according to Leviticus 11. Uh, and they are ravenous birds of prey. So they, they would eat like dead animals even. And uh, some birds of prey are connected with unclean spirits. And uh, birds of the air, uh, I, I put it on your handout, uh, they refer to demons. And so uh, there's some symbolism several times uh, in the Gospels. And even what we read earlier that uh, fowls feed upon the carcass of the, the fallen at the Battle of Armageddon. And it says something very similar at the end of Matthew 24. That's a prophetical verse that fowls of the air, they feed on the... So that's kind of God's cleanup team. Uh, but, but eagles also have a, a positive application. Uh, one of the four faces of the cherubim is an eagle. And the, the remnant of Israel take its flight in the wilderness on the wings of a great eagle. And I, my teaching point there is just that uh, there is more that we don't understand in these verses than what we do understand. And so we're like Job. We're, we're speechless and ignorant to answer or respond to God's Word. But what we do understand about God's Word should cause us to tremble. So that, that was the last blank I had you. And Isaiah... And I don't know if you ever... Uh, feel like I did on top of Mount Carmel, where you just you just tremble at the magnitude of, of God's word, and and that that's what Isaiah did, and that's what he he said to do. I thought I would read you just uh, a little bit uh, about eagles. There's kind of some interesting things about about eagles, and you've probably seen devotions maybe on Facebook or different things, but. The eagle is a symbol uh, used many times in Scripture. In fact, it's mentioned eight, uh, 38 times throughout the Bible. We can learn important lessons from this uh, majestic cre- creation of God. Eagles have a wingspan of two meters. So what, that's uh, it's over six feet, isn't it? Uh, and uh, they're around 90 centimeters tall. So they're huge animals. The eagle mates for life. I thought that was interesting. What's that? Oh. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> it says it's two meters. Yeah, it's over a foot, isn't it? Over three feet. Over three foot, yeah. Over three inches. Um, so the nest is built in a safe place, often on the ledge of a sharp cliff. It is built to last. This says the largest nest reported is nine and a half feet wide. Nine and a half feet wide. And this says 20 feet deep. I wonder if that means 20 inches. I, no. 20 feet deep wouldn't be right, would it? Uh, probably. Really? Like this is 8 feet or 9 feet? If it was... You understand how big an eagle is, how big those eggs are. If it's only 20 inches deep, oh. those little 
eaglets will fall out. Ah. So it's got to be deep enough for them to grow okay. up before they learn to fly. It's a big bird. I've seen them out here yeah. on the pond. I saw when I drove through the Everglades. They make a nest like you can't imagine. Florida. Wait, wait, Rob. When I drove through the Everglades, Florida, I saw a nest. Really? And I saw this eagle sticking out. It looked like a person. It was humongous. And it was way up on a high. You know, on a high. Was it in a tree? Oh. No, it was a utility line. Wow. I mean, it was way up, 30, huh. 30 feet. If you go south to Clinton on 13 and look out over Truman, it's Barrelfoot, arm of the lake. There's some power lines over there, and you'll see the nests. Really? Nests on those power lines. Wow. Huh. There's a picture of a guy sitting in a nest. I'd seen it, something similar one time. It's kind yeah. of hard to see, but oh, he's sitting in there. A lot of them nest in the same area, so yeah. they go back to keep building and building and building. Huh. Crazy. Right. Are they bald eagles? The first house you had was pretty small. Yeah. But the house you have now is a lot bigger. Yeah. 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 Huh. Well, this says when uh, the babies are born, both parents are usually responsible for their care. Uh, there's gentle parents sitting on the eggs for one month. The parents bring food to the nest, feed them with small pieces of meat. Within 45 days, they can weigh nearly 40 times their birth weight. At three months, they get special fe- feathers for flying. The mother eagle flies into the nest, begins to thrash around, causing a great commotion. Eventually, one of the babies will fall out of the nest and begin heading for the earth below, but never having his wings before. He's not really sure what to do, but does a lot of flapping while heading straight down. Just before the baby hits the ground, the mother eagle flies underneath in order to catch the bird on her back with powerful wing and she flies him back to the nest this continues on day after day until the babies learn to fly that's interesting uh, there's two verses in scriptures that actually mention this routine of the eagle in Deuteronomy 32 10 and 11 Moses reminds the children of Israel uh, yeah, 32 verses 10 and 11 uh, that God cared for them and guarded them like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on his uh, tendons, I think it is. Again, in Exodus 19, God says he will carry his children on the wings, the eagle's wings. Mm-hmm. Peter called talons. Talons. Yeah, okay. And you know they get their they get their fluid or their water from the blood that the animals they eat. Oh really? So I noticed in Job thirty there it says her young also suck up the blood. Mm-hmm. Ah. So yeah, any birds of prey they get their when they eat their, their they get some moisture from that. They get from the blood. Huh. huh. This says uh, we we can get comfortable in our nest. Perhaps that we could be on our way of doing things our own way of thinking, our opinions, our way of living, then uh, when God comes and stirs up our nest, we get upset. We don't always identify this as a growing experience. Sometimes we, if we were really honest, we really don't want to grow. We, we get very complacent and satisfied with where we are and any interruptions are viewed as negative. But God wants us to fly, to become all that He intends us to become. He never stirs up our nest without a good reason. 
the eagle can see a rabbit two miles away. He can soar up to two miles above the ground and fly at speeds up to 100 miles an hour. They have a, a separate eyelid which slides across the eye sideways in order to keep their eye clean and free from dust as they fly. Their, burn, their bones are hollow and therefore light a frame. Their frame also uh, has cross ribs like steel bars in a skyscraper. The, the eagle has 7,000 feathers. The back feathers are as long as the head feathers. Their beak is black until they're age three and then it turns golden. And the eagles are around 30 years old when uh, they go through a renewal process and they find a secret place in high mountains begin to claw at their face and tear out their feathers. Uh, as a result, it bleeds badly, but this is necessary for the eagle in order to regain, uh, renew its strength. Uh, if they did not do this, they would not be able to live to a normal 40 years of age. Uh, so Psalm 103 verse 5 says, Who satisfies your desire with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's? So the Bible talks about being renewed. A time of renewal is necessary for every child of God. A time when we get rid of what's weighing us down and holding us back uh, as we age spiritually. A time to give up sinful habits. A time to give to the Holy Spirit whatever way He is convicting us. We need to do this even to the point of renewal with pain. Some things we hold on to so tightly that... Uh, to let go actually causes us pain but in order to have the long painful useful spiritual life that God plans for us we need to do that it will renew our spiritual youthfulness and when the eagle is free to soar in God's creation they are the cleanest of birds they were created to be free and to soar to great heights they were not meant to remain close to the earth in the lowlands they were created to soar when eagles are held in captivity they become one of the dirtiest birds Uh, God has created us to remain pure and holy and conform to his image so don't allow the freedom we are to experience with him to be compromised by spending too much time in worldly thinking and activities and mindsets remain clean eagles do not like uh, other birds they don't flap Uh, eagles are not like other birds they don't flap their wings but rather they soar Flapping their wings would use incredible amounts of their strength and endurance that it would require so much more food as fuel if they didn't just soar. So instead of sitting on a high ledge and waiting for the right wind currents to come, when is the right time uh, they take off and they soar upward effortlessly because they have waited for the right time? There's a special going up wind that they ride as it circles higher and higher toward the sky. And uh, what a lesson for God's children to learn how often we waste time and strength by jumping out too soon and flapping our wings instead of waiting for God's timing. Waiting is not a popular concept in these days of instant everything. But when we wait on the Lord, we wait for His timing, we wait for His answer, we wait for His direction, then we can soar to new heights and fly to new places. And those that who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and faint not.
That's uh, Isaiah 40 verse, the last verse, yeah. I don't know. I, I just save articles and and. Uh, it doesn't say where it came from. Back to the forty thirty one. You can have that if you want it. That's awesome. Yeah. What's that? I knew you read somewhere that the government is using birds as little cameras to find people. Huh. That's pretty wild. They're called drones. Artificial intelligence. Yeah. It's kind of known that the bald eagle doesn't mature until three to four years when that's when their tail feathers turn white and their beak turns orange. Similar to with a red-tailed hawk, young ones will not have red tail feathers until the maturity. Uh. Four years. And that's it. You said hawk there, didn't you? So, yeah. Back in the ancient days, didn't they use owls and pigeons and yeah. They used the falconry was very big in that. They used to hunt animal, other birds with it because the falcon, yeah, peregrine falcon could fly up and descend at 175 miles an hour to knock down a bird, and then the, then they would pick it up. Which Kansas City has huh. done that to control the the uh, pigeon population. Wow, that's good, Steve. That's pretty fast bird, 175 miles an hour. Oh, is that what you said? Hunter said, wow. Wow. I just have one little hiccup with this whole thing. Eagles and hawks do not eat things that are dead. They oh, they don't? They catch their own prey. Very rarely will you see a hawk on the side of the road picking up a possum. I may have said that wrong because uh, it calls them birds of prey, but that doesn't mean that they eat the dead animals, does it? Well, they were unclean. If they, if they were, because he says they were unclean, it makes you think that they're picking at all the dead animals on uh, the road like a scavenger, like a buzzard or yeah. a crow or other birds. And these are yeah. birds of prey. They kill their own food. Yeah. They're not scavengers. I think you're probably right. I probably said that wrong, Rob. So I, well, no. I, I don't, don't think. Pick up dead things. They do? On occasion, but I, I huh. have never. Huh. And I've lived on the farm my whole life, and I've watched a hawk grab a squirrel running down the middle of the road in front of my tractor huh. and grab it and huh. kill it and eat it, but I have never seen a hawk huh. um, on the side of the road eating something that's already dead. Right. Not ever. The eagles will, eagles will do that, though. They'll pick up dead fish. In fact, Benjamin Franklin fought to have the wild turkey as a national animal. I heard that. He said the, uh, the eagle that. was the scavenger. I heard that. He does pick up dead dead fish and stuff like that along the way. I was driving back from uh, 